We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. With a pull-up jumper that's sweet. And the lead is three. Shot clock at five. Big possession here for the Suns. Booker with two. Heads over Brunson. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Back with a game recap for the first time in months. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, the Valley Boys have grown up. They are now the fellas. It's looking pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing amazing, Mike. 1-0, and baby, after tonight. And uh, hey, this was a really close game. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> how many times have we talked about since the Suns acquired Chris Paul just how good this team was going to be and look? in in the clutch and now we yeah. saw it for the first time tonight on the very first night of the uh, of the regular season um a lot of really exciting stuff to talk about here yeah fascinating game i st- i stood up about halfway through the first quarter and i don't think i sat down again until about halfway through the third quarter maybe the beginning of the fourth 
because I was stressed. <laughs> it's a little different watching a team with expectations, high <laughs> expectations. It's it's you know it's different than watching the young guys grow or making them look kind of good for the first time in a long time. Also, I saw a lot of major overreactions yesterday to the first games that happened yesterday, and I just didn't want to deal with those for the Suns today. Oh, yeah. Like I'd prefer those to be on the side that they're going to be on, which is, hey, maybe they'll be really good instead of, wow, they suck. Chris Paul, eighty million dollars. <laughs> you know, those, those those takes would have been all over the place uh, after one bad game if they had one bad game instead. A pretty good game. Uh, really interesting flow for the game and obviously a massive reminder of how necessary Dario Saric is once again. No surprise there. Uh, but yeah, it started off pretty pretty odd. What were your overall takeaways from this just, just right off the bat? Uh, well, the refs certainly influenced the game a, a decent amount here, I'd say. So yeah. always a fun reminder of that early on in the season when, you know, you see like, you know, Devin Booker not exactly getting those uh, superstar calls that I think we expected um, to yeah. begin the season. Where to start, though, I think the MVP of tonight was Mikhail Bridges, in my mind, no doubt. Yeah. And he only finished with 18 points. I say only. For last year, compare Mikhail Bridges to what he did last year. That would be an insane amount for him already. His season high last year was 26. Um, but he did cool off a little bit after 15 first half, um, first half points, only hit one shot in the second half. Mm-hmm. Still, his two-way impact, the way he bottled up Luka Doncic, and of course there were ticky-tack fouls here and there. The Suns switched on defense a lot tonight. I want to talk about that at some point too. Um, but it was Mikhail yeah. Bridges who was the primary defensive assignment on Luka Doncic. He did a phenomenal job, a phenomenal yeah. job. Um, Luka took 26 shots en route to 32 points. Again, it was the free throws that got him that high volume of points because when he had to make quick decisions against Mikhail, he could not get shots off. Um, and then on the other ends of things, Mikhail looking just uber confident in his shot, um, attacking closeouts, uh, driving to the rim. He, he was doing it all. And um, yeah, he's he's the MVP of game one for me, no doubt. Yeah, I love that. And I also think like to an extent, this might be the season that the Luka backlash begins uh, because it's just a lot of foul baiting, like a lot and, and in ways that are very frustrating to watch and a lot of complaining. I think if you put together foul baiting and complaining, uh, fans are going to turn on you eventually. There's only so much... Uh, of like excitement that comes with like a new great player over time. If it's just a lot of that over and over and over again, you see it against your team uh, like we did tonight and fans of other teams are going to see it. That's going to, people are going to turn on him. This might be the year yeah. that it starts, that it starts. You know, uh, honestly, like I, I usually try not to let it bother me too much. And I'm looking at the box score now. I feel the need to point out the Suns had 27 free throw attempts. Uh, the Mavs had 26. It wasn't like this ridiculous discrepancy. However, there were a couple of egregious plays there, especially in the fourth quarter. I think there was one play that the one that really pissed me off was when Devin Booker was on Luka for a possession, went straight up in the paint. Luka jabbed his elbow into him and still got the call. Um, And I think, yeah, yeah, that that was bad. That one bothered me. And there was another uh, where Javon Carter got baited into a three point foul. It was kind of funny because the Suns challenged that. By the way, Monty Williams' confidence it would be fun to do like a look back on all of his challenges because rarely does he challenge when Devin Booker gets a foul called on him because usually Devin Booker fouls and, and like there's, there's a good reason he's not going to use the challenge when it's a Devin Booker foul. Uh, even though it would be nice to take a foul away, the likelihood of Devin Booker actually committing that foul is high. 
Javon Carter gets one foul in the first <laughs> the first game of the season. He immediately throws that challenge flag out there because uh, he's like, no chance, no chance. Javon got baited into a foul, and it's funny because uh, it, it was not a normal shooting motion. Luca literally jumped up and into Kleber, who was setting the screen. And it was just awful. It looked really stupid. It was from the three-point line. The refs conceded that maybe it wasn't a shooting foul and they gave him two free throws instead. When in reality, those types of fouls, I actually don't necessarily blame Luca. I think playing for the foul is disgusting. and But it needs to be sort of uh, legislated out of the game. It's not necessarily something that can just disappear if the refs continue to, to reward it, there there are going to be players that continue to do it. Uh, James Harden, Luka Doncic, uh, Devin Booker does it sometimes on those drives to the basket where he'll just jump up off balance when guys are right in his face and, and he'll get the foul called. But the ones like that that are like clearly non-basketball plays, I think, are the types of plays that can turn fans against you over time. I want to talk about just quickly Aiton. Actually, we could spend as much time on Aiton as we want. It was a fascinating game for him because every minute he was on the floor, I thought he was fantastic. He was really, really good. Maybe one dumb shot, but one dumb shot is fine. Like That's totally fine with me. But his ability to switch, which like you said, and I'm glad you brought it up early, they did a lot of. They were it's, switching a lot. It's going to be the thing that we want. I think we want you guys at home to be looking out for it too. Like Because just from my eye test, I, and unfortunately... Does Synergy track this? I don't even know. Yes. I, we don't have a, a Synergy subscription, so we don't have the capacity to like look at how often the team is is in whichever defensive scheme. But it just looks like they're they're using Aiden on switches so much more often, and especially in that fourth quarter, um, it became basically every possession. That is how you are going to lock teams down um, in the modern NBA. It was it was great in the playoffs, especially. I think that's the type of thing where I think to an extent I actually didn't really like it a lot in this game because. Uh, that's kind of what allowed Luka Doncic to start getting get going a little bit as the game went on because uh, Mikhail Bridges was on him one-on-one a lot in that first yep. quarter. He started out 0 for 6. They started switching a little bit more. He was getting his shot off against other guys a little easier. But I think it's good for them to do this. One, for Aiton, the point I was going to make about Aiton, the switching was great, but also his ability to contain guys on the perimeter was excellent. There were guys who continue to go at him. And I think it's going to be interesting as the season progresses, if he continues to do really well against switches like he did tonight, will people stop trying to isolate against him? Because they didn't stop in this game. Jalen Brunson was doing it all the way into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Even if he scored, it was not a good shot. Like it was a shot exactly. over an extended arm of a massive guy under the rim. It wasn't a good shot, even if it went in. As, as nice as it was that it went in. But I just want to give him a lot of credit because... The defense was so much better, so, so much better with him on the court. With a combination of Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton, that defense is, it looks fantastic, and as we expected, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, especially with those switches. And you know what? To give him credit on the offensive end, too, this was not a dominant DeAndre Ayton performance by any stretch of the imagination. He only played 24 minutes. I'm going to be honest with you, Mike, for a guy who only played 24 minutes, the conditioning is definitely still, you know, it's a work in progress. He looked gassed a decent amount of the game i thought yeah um however to give him credit on offense there was a stretch where um overall just when the suns were without chris paul and devin booker tonight both off the floor um no matter which guys they threw out there they survived those minutes really well but in particular there was yeah. one stretch and i think the late third quarter maybe it was early fourth i don't remember yes. exactly yep. when when exactly it was like you're talking about sorry you go ahead 
Oh no! I just said I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, I didn't. I yeah, I just didn't catch it. No, it was it was DeAndre Ayton kind of anchoring that offense and the offense. Yes. Yeah, they were having him. It was. I know we say, and I know we say. In case you think we sound hypocritical, we do say DeAndre Ayton is not the type of guy you can just give 15 post touches to and let him go to work. I mean that in in the framing, the overall framing of you can't build your entire offensive system out of DeAndre no. Ayton the same way you can't build that type of system around basically any big man in the NBA in 2020 except maybe like Joel Embiid but in small stretches the way they used it tonight going back to him again and again he had uh, like several post touches in a row I think against Kleba I don't remember exactly off the top of my head um, and and bullied him just bullied him there were still maybe one or two iffy mid-range shots that he could have worked to get his body in a a little bit closer to the basket Um, but he really did kind of anchor the Suns offense in an interesting way for about a three four minute stretch so I thought that was really encouraging too yeah I think that was a moment of the game where you're like oh this is what it looks like when you have a third star where it felt like you had a third star where the two stars the two main superstars were off the court and all of a sudden there was a third guy that can now keep the offense moving and I agree with you. I think twice in a row he got Kleba all the way under the rim where it was just a little easy turnaround drop off in the rim. The third play, he posted up and did that little fadeaway <laughs> that he likes to do, which, you know, I think that shot is actually a good shot for him to continue to take because I actually kind of like that shot. I think there will be guys who are as strong as him at some point that he can't bully under the rim and he has to be capable of taking that shot. But Kleba wasn't one of those guys. He could have easily pushed him down under the rim again and gotten a little easy turnaround hook shot right into the basket. No faulting him there because I thought he was fantastic outside of that. The main thing that you got to fault him for in this game was a couple of dumb fouls. And I and here's the thing. If it means he's going to be ultra aggressive defensively, a couple of dumb fouls can be okay. And offensively because I think he got one or two on offense. But he right now specifically, right now with no Dario Saric, it's especially tough because when he comes out, Damian Jones comes in and he was absolutely awful. The fact that we won this game with Damian Jones playing the amount of minutes that he played is kind of shocking because eight, eight minutes, by the way. So we're not even talking about like a, a, you know, highly used role player here. Yeah, eight spectacular minutes, <laughs> and I mean that in the a, a the worst possible behold, way for sure. Yeah, because out of position on every every play defensively, essentially. And constantly fouling. He got five fouls in eight minutes, really. I didn't even realize it was that Well, uh, look, little amount of time. But that also meant, I should say, Jalen Smith at center for a few minutes. And and that was pretty fun. I I didn't hate that. Yeah, Not great, but... No, absolutely. I thought Jalen Smith looked 100% totally playable tonight. He played 16 minutes (laughs) and shot two for three from the field at four points, three rebounds. And, you know, he, he, he wasn't a guy... Look, at center... The truth is Jalen Smith is thin. He's not going to go out there and get like 15 rebounds and and block. I mean, he will block some shots, but he's not going to be uber physical the way you might expect. This is a guy who weighs in at 225 pounds. However, every pick and roll he defended, I did not think he looked out of place whatsoever um, at center. Whereas at power forward, he really often does. Um, And we didn't, we actually... Uh, by happenstance didn't see him do kind of the driving aggression um, in this game like we didn't see him get the opportunity to face up against a center from the top of the key and like try to take him off the absolutely. dribble absolutely and I think I know why too I, I just sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there but I think he was rolling a lot on the pick and rolls he was not popping at all maybe that's yeah. the function of him playing at center instead of at power forward but uh, that, that meant would, 
that would make sense to me. Yeah, because at all of their set plays at this point are catered with the idea of Damian Jones or DeAndre Ayton playing the five, so it's going to be a roller more so than than a pop guy. So if Jalen Smith hasn't hasn't logged as much time at that position and he's kind of just going by memory of what he's what he's seen in practice, then then that would make a lot of sense. I would have to go back and and watch, but regardless, he looked totally playable. I thought a good rookie debut. He didn't like change the the outcome of the game in any drastic sort of way, but but he was good. He was definitely good. Well, I'll tell you this. Every time he rolled, I thought he should pop. And I think that's kind of funny. But it's probably a function of how the Mavericks play defense. The, the, the paint was just relatively crowded when he was rolling. But it worked well. He was plus six in this game, right? The Suns were not outscored when he was on the floor. Now, plus minus, it doesn't necessarily matter. But I think it would have mattered if they were minus 10 when he was on the court outside of everything else. Like That would have stood out. A little bit more. Minus 10, by the way, is what Chris Paul was. To that, that end, Damian Jones matter. was a plus two. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so how, it's not the be-all, end-all. But. Exactly. How different it is uh, when you compare those two things. But with Jalen Smith, I think, yeah, if he's going to play center, which at this point... Uh, I'm already more comfortable with him playing over Damian Jones. And it's not necessarily because of this one game. It's because Jalen Smith is more part of this team going forward. It just He just is. Damian Jones is, cl- is clearly one of those guys that's signed that's barely one foot out of the league. Uh, just back up in case injuries really decimate you. Obviously, Frank Kaminsky, by the way, Frank Kaminsky's on the team. We haven't talked about it on this podcast. He's going to be part of this team soon, and I think he's going to soak up some of those minutes as well. Maybe they'll play some minutes with Jalen Smith and Frank Kaminsky together. But maybe it's a good situation where they stumbled into something relatively good in this game where Cameron Johnson's at the four, Jalen Smith is at the five, and it actually worked kind of well, and they tried to take advantage of that. One thing you talked about that I, I did want to touch on as well was the minutes without Chris Paul and Devin Booker. There were not a lot. But there were some, which is what we expected. We we estimated before the season started seven or eight minutes a game, I imagine. I think that's exactly what there was. Yeah, it's pretty good Good, good for us. Pat ourselves on the back <laughs> a little bit there. Uh, just a random guess. But they were pretty good. <laughs> they were pretty good. And part of that is Cameron Payne continued to be pretty good. Uh, on this team, he sh- he's shooting fifty. He's officially shooting fifty percent from three still uh, <laughs> on the Suns because he was one for two. But he's attacking hard. He's getting into the paint. He's trying to find shooters as much as possible. I was imp- especially impressed with his ability to isolate against the bigs on the Mavericks. He was getting to the rim. It kind of looked like Dennis Schroeder a little bit. If we're talking wow. about who Chris Paul played with uh, last year, if he can do that, if he can learn uh, from. Chris Paul a lot. I think he could be really impressive. I'm not going going to get my hopes up for those minutes right now, but it did seem like there was an intent to stagger a little bit in this game. But the minutes without both of them, still pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, th- well, it's clear that they are staggering. Uh, it, it was basically exactly what I expected. We only saw Paul and Booker together for a few minutes at the beginning, a few minutes at the end. Other than that, they had to stagger nonetheless they survived and they're only going to get better without those two once Dario Sarge comes back campaign still scares me you know you know I can't even lie like he's he's just pulling up in rhythm transition threes mm-hmm. um isolating against bigs like every time I see him do it mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of afraid that it's not his game 
But he proved me wrong in the bubble, and he proved me wrong again tonight. So I would love to see him keep up this hot streak. Um, I don't think he's going to shoot 50% from three all season long, but he definitely uh, looked good. And uh, look, ultimately, a sixth man, you want him to be confident, and you want him to kind of dictate the flow of the offense uh, when he gets those in-rhythm opportunities like that. So um, all credit to campaign. Outside of uh, him, some other bench guys... Langston Galloway continues to be a sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. Um, he only played nine minutes, but he shot four for five. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. just like, how pretty is his stroke? And how fast and how willing he is to shoot it, I think, is is what I love about it. Is well, As soon as he catches it behind the three-point line, there's no other thought in his mind except putting it up towards the basket. It really doesn't matter if someone's closing out and someone's in his face. He's going to put it up, and that's how you get four-point plays like he did in this game. Uh, yeah, he's going to be fantastic. There was a, a moment in the first half when Chris Paul and Devin Booker were off the court that the offense was basically built around Langston Galloway off-ball movement in threes, and it worked because he draws so much attention because of how fast his shot was. And, uh, and yeah, he looks really good. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk. Well, there's a few other guys I want to talk about. I'll see that. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, one guy we have to talk about right away. Now, I didn't touch on Mikhail Bridges. He was fantastic. And he looks like a wing that is aware of his impending free agency, I will say. And it felt (laughs) a little uh, Jalen Brownie. But Cameron Johnson was also fantastic. What he has shown in the preseason games that he played and so far in this game, obviously just one game, but his willingness to create shots for himself was something that he was not really even capable of doing before. He seems to be more confident in his strength more confident in his ability 
to pull up. I still need him to get behind that three-point line. I Obviously, by the way, uh, Max and I, who went over, were hoping for more than seven three-point attempts. We were hoping for a Duncan Robinson-esque season. That's clearly not going to happen. But I think his growth and development is going a little bit differently. I think his ability to handle the ball and the trust that Monty Williams has and him just grabbing it and going, whether that be on turnovers or on rebounds, at power forward, he's going to get rebounds. And he's just going to fly down the court. And they're trusting him to make decisions with the ball. So far, so good. You know, nothing impressive as far as the assists. But, like, I mean, it looks good. It, he looks like a guy that's capable of running the offense around for short stretches of the game. And that's very exciting for me to see. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, in a cliche sense, that's that's what point five is all about, right? Like, the idea yeah. of this system is empowering every player to believe that they can make those smart decisions with the ball in their hands. Maybe at center, there are a couple of guys on this roster who who just don't fit that mold. Damian Jones, obviously, you're not going to like, <laughs> you're not going to run an offense. We're we're shitting on him a little bit too hard, maybe in this episode, but he was like the only player who had <laughs> a really bad, bad game. You're not going to really have him in decision making uh, situations. But everyone else, even at power forward, when Cam Johnson is playing power forward, Monty is trusting him to to take the ball in his hands and make those types of decisions um cam johnson had nine shot attempts tonight he only took three threes i'm looking at his rookie year list of box scores here his game log and uh it's you know i'm doing this kind of off the cuff so i can't tell you with um certainty here but i imagine that only three three pointers to nine field goal attempts that's only 33 percent is among the smallest percentages of of any of his games in his career to this point uh, that were three-point attempts. I mean, normally he's just a guy who comes in and jacks up five or six threes a game. Uh, today, as you were talking about, he was looking for his own shot. What that meant in practice was uh, an increased number of mid-range shots. And I think you could argue that in some ways it's a very good thing, and in some ways it's a bit of a maybe maybe a direction that you don't want his development curve to go towards. Um, but for the most part, I thought just him trying to find his shot off the dribble, understanding that his shot release is so smooth and so quick and he's so tall that when he does get into those positions, there's no one who can contest his shot, which does sort of empower him to to take those mid-range makes. You do still just want him to understand kind of his overall role within the scheme, which is, I think, should be primarily a sharpshooter. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but he's so fa- he's so fast for his size. Uh, his shot is so fast, and his ability to get his feet under him, I think, is uh, un- almost underrated at this point. Just because we don't necessarily talk about it, who else is going to talk about it? By the way, uh, but getting your feet under you on those dribble pull ups is, I th- I think, what a lot of players struggle with. He goes straight up and down, he- no matter if it's a catch and shoot or if he's taking a few dribbles into the paint or closer to the basket to shoot, it's a straight up and down jump. And that's a shooter. That's a shooter, shooter. And I agree, you know, it's an interesting development change with him because, uh, you know, some people maybe saw this in him where, where they thought maybe he can be a bit of a Devin Booker light with a better three point shot, uh, at creating for himself. But yeah, I do think it's important for him to sort of understand his role in the game particularly. But I think when the guys are off the court, like when the two guys we're going to talk about next in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, when they're off the court, maybe it's okay for Cameron Johnson to try and create a little bit more for himself. Absolutely. Maybe it's okay for him to look for his shot other parts of the court besides the three-point line. When those yeah. guys are on the court, though, 
make make some room, make some space for them because they're going to use that mid range. DeAndre Ayton's going to eat up uh, whatever he can in the paint. So it's up for up to you, Cameron Johnson, to stand maybe even a foot or two behind that three point line, make as much space as possible. Try not to cut in stupid situations like we saw in this game. By the way, if you haven't heard it, listen to the Locked On podcast. I thought he was fantastic. This sounds like something that he's working on as well. He talked about being sort of loaded, locked and loaded, ready to shoot when he catches the ball, something he needs to work on. Well, now he can watch Langston Galloway because that dude is not scared. And that's a good example of what he should be doing. He even has something we talked about. He did it again in this game. He has the little fake... It's a travel. Let's be honest. It's a travel. When you're coming around a screen from the corner to the top of the key behind the three-point line and you're catching the ball on a DHO, he does the thing where he takes an extra two steps before he dribbles and it creates so much space Mm -hmm. on the other side of that screen that you can really get that shot off or at the very least, if you're attacking, it's going to force a double or a trap. Uh, Very impressed by Langston Galloway so far. Uh, something that we do, I think, sometimes in this podcast, Sam, is we get a little bit bogged down talking about, as Shaq would call them, the others. Because <laughs> the others and how they perform, is it, it has such a large effect on the outcome of the game. Because someone like Devin Booker has become so consistent, it's almost easy to take advantage of how easy it is for him to score 22 points on 15 shots um, in 34 minutes in this game or like Chris Paul actually not that good to start this game to be honest he it took him a while to score nothing super impressive in the first quarter but we need to talk about those two guys because of how important it is let's start with Devin Booker because I think you know to Chris Paul's credit he shows up at the end of the games we'll talk about him at the end of this podcast uh, but Devin Booker absolutely phenomenal once again it looks like it's going to be insanely easy for him to be efficient on this team what do you think of Devin Booker in this game he was good Uh, the one exception being the eight turnovers Um, definitely once we got into that second half he was bothered a little bit I think his handle wasn't quite up to speed and I can't really comment on why I think that was it just appeared to be the case I'm gonna chalk it up to an off night Um, but his shot was obviously there his ability to get to the free throw line was there Um, and and yeah the the mid-range shot was there the three-point shot was there early on in the game we saw him take a a pull-up transition three I love seeing him do that just you know keep the defense honest from out there and then when they bite on it that's how you're able to kind of take a couple dribbles and get into your real killer game which is from the mid-range as we all know with him so yeah I mean I thought Devin did a great job setting the tone I think we are comfortable at this point with playing him as the primary offensive weapon whenever Chris Paul is going to be off the floor not just as the offensive weapon but as point book you know even when campaign even when he's playing next to campaign he is running the offense um, and, you know, I, I think that's something Suns fans are all um, comfortable with at this point as well. Um, just the turnovers, uh, something something to work on. But I have a theory on that a little bit. I, I think there's a couple things that are a little bit different about this team. But, but the seismic thing is Chris Paul. And when you have Chris Paul on the team, what you'll notice is that if he gets the ball, say, in transition or even if they score and Chris Paul is handling the ball, the first thing the team does is look at him to call the play. You'll see that as soon as he catches the ball, when we're taking it out of bounds, he's already directing traffic and telling guys where to go and essentially calling the plays. They're not looking over to Monty at all anymore. 
it's entirely Chris Paul when Chris Paul's on the floor. And I think there's an element of it takes a little bit of getting used to to understand that somebody else is calling the plays so often for Devin Booker. And the other part is the offense was still just a little bit sloppy. Like these guys are clearly not used to playing with each other. And I think that led to a lot of turnovers. There was one specific play that I'm sure everyone will remember where uh, there was a screen on the left side of the floor. DeAndre Ayton screened for Devin Booker. And then they just like ran into each other. (laughs) And the ball just kind of dribbled out because they were not clear. They were clearly not on the same page as to what they were going to do there. And I don't blame either one of them for that because, I mean, if I had to guess, it looked like a Devin Booker mistake to me. It looked like. Aiton was trying to roll out and go to the rim. There was no space to go between the two guys, so he was trying to roll around the defender. They just bumped into each other. That looks like uh, two guys who are just not really on the same page. And I also think there's an element of they looked a little tired. Everyone looked a little tired in this game, whether it be the Mavs or the Suns. But, I mean, that's something that they they have to work on. Obviously, you can't get away with having eight turnovers a game. That, that's First of all, that would be the most ever. <laughs> but I think he's going to cut it down a little bit as he gets used to one somebody else calling the play so often and two, just everyone getting used to where they're going to be on the floor, but still an impressive game for him, especially in that first half, very easy for him to get his shots off. And I think that will continue. Uh, Chris Paul, Chris Paul's on this team. Now we got to talk about him. This is the biggest thing, obviously that happened probably to any team this off season. And uh, it was a really interesting game for, for Chris Paul. What'd you think? Well, I, <laughs> I think even in a game where everyone who didn't watch the game is going to look at the box score curious about how Chris Paul did in his son's debut and see an objectively bad stat line, like three for nine from the field in 28 minutes, eight points, five assists, three turnovers, is just, it's not a good starting point guard stat line. But I think for those who watched the game, even when he wasn't hitting shots in the first half, it was very clear to see, A, like you were talking about a second ago, his influence on the court in terms of calling plays. I thought it was very noticeable in the minutes DeAndre Ayton played with Chris Paul already versus in the minutes DeAndre Ayton played by himself, the level of engagement. And just Chris Paul coaching him and directing him where to go. It is very clear to me that, um, you know, when we were joking about it with Kellen last week. Is he going to break him? But I don't think he's actually going to break him. I think in reality, he's just going to be very active in, in directing him. Um, and it's going to be a good thing for DeAndre, and I think it was a good thing tonight. But beyond that, just his presence on the court and what it means in any pick-and-roll situation does create so much space for everyone around him. And so even if Chris Paul was missing shots until the fourth quarter, um, I, I, I would be willing to bet when I go back, I don't remember every play now, but when I go back and rewatch this game, I'll see a lot of easy buckets for some of his teammates that were created just by his presence on the floor and the big men paying attention uh, to him when he draws out uh, sort of some of those possessions in the pick and roll. So, um, yeah, I mean, he it wasn't traditionally speaking a good game from Chris Paul. Definitely the fourth quarter was great, though. I mean, do you want to talk about just kind of his clutch? Yeah. Clutch gene, because we definitely saw that in the final minute. You know, he had one yeah. of one of the two biggest shots of the of the night. Yeah, there was a moment in the game where it, it was tied. I think it was like 100, 100 or something like that. And the game ended 106, 102. And uh, I, I said it online. I said, this is the moment that you got Chris Paul for. It's up to him to show up right now. And, you know, you know, I love my narratives. I love my drama. Uh, and I wanted to see it because it's the truth. Chris Paul was one of the no, best that's Paul players. This is Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. Chris Paul was one of the best clutch players 
in the NBA last season. And the Suns were one of the worst clutch teams in the NBA last season. The Mavs were actually one of the worst as well. So there's a situation here where you look at the Suns and you say, well, if Chris Paul's on the team now, they should close this game out. And they did. Immediately after that, Chris Paul got a steal. Uh, there And then there was back-to-back clutch buckets by Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And I thought that was especially fascinating because as we were talking about with Kellen Olsen, what you need to be a good team in the NBA now is multiple shot creators that can create shots for themselves and others. I'm going to repeat that all season because the Suns finally have it. And to see the fact that the ball didn't have to go to Devin Booker in the clutch on that first shot mm-hmm. was just such a beautiful sight to see because the defense is so keyed in on Devin Booker. He's so capable of creating shots for himself when that happens. We saw him do it in the bubble. We've seen him do it for years. But the fact that it didn't have to be him on both of those possessions was exactly what this team needs when it comes to clutch scoring. And it's nice for Chris Paul, too. I think there wasn't really that on OKC. There's going to be a learning curve for this team in general. Like I said, the Chris Paul change is a seismic change. It's not just adding a role player to your team. It's adding one of the most ball-dominant players in the NBA, even if he was you know, 25% usage rate or whatever it was. He's still a guy where the offense now revolves around him for a lot of the time that he's on the court. But in those scenarios, it's essentially one offensive player versus one defensive player And to win those games, the offensive player has to win more than the defensive player. And we saw that happen. Chris Paul created his own mid-range shot. Then Devin Booker got the ball on the same side of the court, created his own mid-range shot. Back-to-back clutch buckets. Really beautiful stuff when you're talking about sort of the narrative of this team, the story of this team going forward, and what this move means for the Suns. We got to see it right away in the first game of the season. I think a lot of Suns fans are going to be very excited to see that. Personally, I was very excited. I'm sure you loved it as well. Well, in an arguably reductionist way, poetic that it came against the Mavericks because the Mavs don't have that, and the Suns do. And you could argue that those two buckets, the Suns won by four points. Two mid-range buckets in the final minute made all the difference. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about projecting this team towards the playoffs. Um, You know, you have to worry about the L.A. teams because they can do this sort of stuff with their scores. But a team like Dallas with just Luka Doncic, a team like Utah with just Donovan Mitchell... Uh, a team like Portland with just Damian Lillard. Yeah, I mean, you I'm going to argue- say that proudly because I don't believe in CJ. And neither do I. So, you know, I want to cut CJ some slack because I do think he can kind yeah. of do it. Like, he's not... He's, He's not, not as good level. as the two guys of the on the other teams you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. But, yes, that, that is what separates the Suns from these other teams. Um, I do have to ask you about one thing, shifting yeah. away from Chris Paul real quick. Yeah. But because we're talking about clutch lineups, about three or four minutes left, Monty made the decision to sub out Jay Crowder for Cam Johnson. What do you think of it? I love it. I love it, especially in this game because I think that it's an it's it's a specific matchup thing with Dallas where there's really only one guy, right? There's really only you just talked about it, and Mikhail Bridges, that's his defensive assignment. Now, if you're doing the amount of switching that they that they were doing, it, it's understandable to keep uh, Jay Crowder in as well. But I think there was an element of when these guys start to go one on one, like as the game slows down, like they did, two isolation buckets to win this game. You need a guy that's going to keep everyone out of the way. 
And Cam Johnson's a better shooter than Jay Crowder. He just mm-hmm. is. So you have to defend Cam Johnson on the perimeter because if Chris Paul or Devin Booker whip that ball to him, that's three points in most cases. Uh, and with Jay Crowder, it's probably not. Like you, you, you want that to be Jay Crowder's shot in that scenario. He's one for six in this game. Still good. Jay Crowder was still good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought it made a lot of sense because, you know, with, like I said, with isolation, it's it's the Houston Rockets model. They're not going to do this play after play after play, but as the game slows down, you need guys that can spread the floor as much as possible right. in order to have space to isolate the way they did. So I, I, yeah. I loved I, it. I just thought it, it spoke to the extent to which uh, Cam Johnson has defied expectations since he got drafted. We, <laughs> yeah, we've really always does. We've always known that he can shoot. And so obviously offensively you want to make that substitution for for the shooting and the gravity but it speaks to the faith that Monty Williams has in Cam Johnson now that he was willing to put him out there in the late fourth quarter knowing that it was a switch defensive scheme. And he got switched onto Luka. And he got switched onto Luka on multiple possessions and hey, was he Mikhail Bridges level on Luka Doncic? No, <laughs> no. he was not, but he was competent out there. Um, and yeah, even if he didn't like hit the game-winning shot or anything, you could argue that what he did on offense was still valuable. So you know, I I don't think I don't think keeping Jay out there for the last three minutes would have been the wrong decision at all. But right, it's nice to have that uh, that versatility. Yeah, um, a couple other little things that I just want to get out there that I noticed they were playing really fast to start this game with Chris Paul on the floor. I wonder if that's going to continue. I noticed that it didn't continue as the game went on, but I think that had more to do with fatigue than it did game plan because when Chris Paul came back in, I noticed the guys that looked a little tired before now didn't look as tired because Chris Paul was in there telling them what to do and they were doing it, whether they were tired or not. So that that's something um, I think to watch going forward. Uh, another thing that I kind of liked was Jalen Smith uh, switching onto perimeter guys. Uh, he did relatively well. What I thought was impressive is he was backing up a little bit, right? They were clearly wanting him to drop, but they were switching a lot in this game. So that means he ended up on a few perimeter guys and you really see his length when he's on perimeter guys, because, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't foul, if he has his hands up, he's tall, he's got long arms. That's going to make the shot a little bit harder. I wonder if he's going to have the ability to switch if guys continue to shoot threes on him, that's good for us. If they start attacking Jalen Smith, it's going to be interesting to see his mobility, uh, chasing guys to the rim, and how much his length can actually help uh, defending the rim in those scenarios. Those are a couple of things I noticed. Do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on before we end this podcast? Not really. Uh, we've got two games against Sacramento coming up, so we'll have another episode for you guys out on the weekend. Um, I, I don't know what the injuries are going to look like. Uh, are we going to see a Frank Kaminsky revenge game against <laughs> the team that just waved him potentially yeah. over the weekend? So, you know, he might be eligible for the first time. Um, I think hopefully every Suns fan is hoping that Dario Saric is back, but I wouldn't necessarily count on it for the weekend, um, judging from what I've heard. So we'll just have to wait and see. But in the meantime, yeah. encouraging start. We're 1-0, and and everyone played well tonight except maybe one guy. Yeah. I'm I'm really hoping for 35 minutes out of DeAndre Ayton in that next game because that would be he, great. like I said, absolutely anchored the defense, and I think he made such a massive difference when he was on the floor. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Like Sam said, we will be back very soon. Well, it's one game. You know, I don't want to uh, declarations about this team, um, but we, we've we've shown. You know, since I've been here and, and we brought in guys that we feel like are resilient. And um, with the foul trouble, you know, Jalen stepping in there and playing well, Langston coming off the bench. 
Um, there's a resiliency about our group to just stay the course. And so that's something that we can, you know, hang our hat on and, and grow from. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.